Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, I know it's not January 1st, but it is the beginning of the new year in the life of the church. Advent, uh, you may know it as. And during Advent, we are going to be looking at the world and we are going to be reminded that God is about to do something big. And without God, hope does not exist. Now, if you don't believe in God, of course, you can still hope for things. You can hope for a new job or a new car or a wife or a husband. You can hope for all sorts of different things. But it's a kind of hope that doesn't last. God offers a hope that lasts, and that's what we, are look, we look forward to during Advent. Well, this new sermon series that we are in comes right after we have just discussed, discussed our, one of our values that we are going to help others and do things in our community and world to impact the world. And the value uh, leading up to Advent is kind of perfect because it's a value about helping people and helping and impacting the world. And we are moving into this time of the year where we give more than any other time of year. It's the season of giving. It's that feel-good time of year where we have the holiday spirit, right? We're a little extra nice to people. We give a little extra. But there's this paradox when it comes to helping. When do we help? When do we not help? Can helping do more harm than good? Now, does God really want us to help everyone selflessly, regardless of the harm it may do to us? And if that's not the case, how do we set boundaries? My best friend, Shayla, and I, we both have sons who live in Kansas City. And so several months ago, we drove down to Kansas City uh, one day to take our sons out for breakfast. And I was driving, and we drove down to Kansas City, and we got into, into the city, and we pulled up to this intersection, and there was a guy standing at the corner with a sign, and it, the sign said something like, anything helps, God bless. My, my best friend, Shayla, she rolls down the window. The guy walks over to the window. She digs through her purse. She pulls out a $20, and she hands it to the man that's standing outside of the window. Now, the light turns green. I drive away, and I say to her, what are you doing? And I say it in a really judgmental way because we're best friends, and we have this agreement that we are allowed to do this to, to one another. And she says, who am I to judge? I have the money and he needs help. I can give him money if I want to. And I responded with, yes, of course you can. But then I had all these other reasons why maybe we shouldn't just roll down our window and give someone money. Now, most of my reasoning comes from my sister who worked at the Open Door Mission for 17 years. Now, the Open Door Mission is the big mission in, in Omaha. 
And my sister would tell me what they, the mission, would recommend. If you saw somebody standing on the side of the street, a beggar or panhandle or whatever you want to call them, somebody asking for money. And the mission would say, don't give them money because it does not help them in the long run. Now, they also would say, if you do want to do something good, providing long-term support for someone, then you give to organizations that help with those kind of things. But is my friend right? Giving without expectations or out, without explanation, without judgment, that sounds like kind of a Jesus thing to do. Or am I right? Do we collectively all say that we will not hand out money so that people can get the help that they really need? Am I right? Is she right? There is a passage in Galatians chapter 6. Um, this is, these are Paul's words to the church in Galatia. Galatia, and let's see what this can uh, maybe teach us. So it says, brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing some, something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with the spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted too. Carry each other's burdens and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are important when they aren't, they're fooling themselves. Each person should test their own work and be happy with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. Now this passage really is about uh, turning back to God, and it's about the accountability that we need from one another. And really, the emphasis on this passage is really more about moral weaknesses or moral failings. But some people will use this, especially the part about carrying one another's burdens, to manipulate people. Uh, they do it to the church. They, they, you might have family or friends who, who may do it too. Unfortunately, some people use Galatians 6.2 that were to carry one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. Sometimes people turn this into kind of a full-time job of always asking for help. They, they twist God's word and use this word as an excuse to dodge responsibilities, ask the church for help, uh, ask family members or friends for constant assistance. And they might say things like, well, you're a Christian, you should be helping. Or aren't you the church? Isn't this what you are supposed to be doing? And, and I'm sure that my friend Shayla, she probably said something in our disagreement about me being a pastor. I'm guessing that she did. I don't remember for sure. But when we hear these things, when I hear these things, I cannot help but feel a little bit guilty because I know that there is more that I can do. I know that there is more help that I can give. I know that there's more people's burdens that I can carry. 
And we, we can all probably agree on this, that living a life uh, uh, that, is, that is centered on sacrificial love and giving, living a life shouldering one another's burdens and treating our neighbors like ourselves can get pretty tiring. And then when we start giving and we keep on giving, sometimes we think, Am I, am I even really making a difference? And when we start to feel a little bit overwhelmed of whether our helping is actually helping or not, sometimes we just need to take a step back. And we need to look at the bigger picture. Mother Teresa says, if you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one. Following God's word is hard. It's difficult. It's like walking this tightrope between uh, thinking uh, without thinking of yourself, right? Giving without thinking of yourself, giving selflessly, and setting healthy boundaries. And if you lean too far on one side, we get all self-centered and super independent. And then if we lean too far the other way, then we start taking on other people's messes as our own. I want us to look again at these two of the verses that we just read. Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses 2 and verse 5. So verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and so that you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then verse 5, Each person will have to carry their own load. And I think of it this way. I think that we are all given a backpack when we are born. And some of us, right from the very start, we are given a heavier backpack than others. And then along the way, we start picking up pebbles and we start picking up rocks, usually from our own doing. And we start picking those things up and we start putting them into our own backpack. And then sometimes life just throws stones at us, throws these rocks at us. And we have to pick those up too. Right? We pick them up and we put them in our backpacks. And sometimes our backpacks get really, really full, but we have to carry our own load. We carry them as we get through life. But then sometimes life throws at us a boulder. And our backpacks, we're already carrying our backpacks around, and now we are trying to balance this giant boulder and carrying it through life. And this is when the church needs to step up and help. This is when we as Christians come together and we help to carry one another's burdens. But of course the question is, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide whether uh, what somebody is dealing with is just a rock or a stone that they must put in their own backpack? Or, or, who, or, or it's maybe a burden, a big boulder that we need to help each other with. Well, there is this book, and it is called uh, When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor, and yourself. And it's by Steve Corbett and Brian Finkert. And it, this book is for churches and it's for Christians to help us with this helping paradox. So in order to uh, show you or explain to you one of the examples they use in this book, imagine somebody 
is asking for help. Maybe somebody walks in the, the church building and they ask uh, for money, for rent, or to pay their utilities. Or maybe a family member calls you again, uh, needing just a little bit of money to get by to their next paycheck. The first thing that this book tells us to do is to discern the situation and to decide if this situation calls for relief, rehabilitation, or development. And I'll explain those, those three things later. But the first thing that we are called to do is to pray. We are, we are called to ask God and to help, uh, ask God to help us, give us directions on uh, what we should do in a certain situation. Now, prayer is really important. If you can pray with the person, that is great. But even just a silent prayer to God asking for guidance is really helpful and, and kind of the foundation of what we need to do. And so we, ask, we, we discern, we ask God to help us decide what this situation calls for. And then the book says that some situations call for relief. And here's what they say about relief. Relief can be defined as the urgent and temporary provision of emergency aid to reduce immediate suffering from a natural or man-made crisis. Now, let's say you have an emergency, like a health emergency, and you take yourself to the, the ER. The nurses and the doctors are going to respond differently to each person who comes into the ER. They are going to respond differently to someone who comes in bleeding from the head than they are going to respond to somebody who comes in with a twisted ankle. Now, both of these things are, are worthy of emergencies. Uh, people brought themselves or, or they were taken to the emergency for, for these reasons. Now, sometimes people will ask for help and they will come in at a 10, right? They are, they are really saying like, this is urgent. And they are at a 10. And when, when somebody comes to you asking for help and they are at a 10, you're going to react. Like, you should react. That person is in distress. But just because that person comes in at a 10 doesn't mean that you are a 10 also. Like, their emergency is not necessarily your urgency. You know, somebody comes looking for food or rent, um, and if you can provide that, that's great. But, but remember that if it's not urgent and if it's not a temporary thing that you are providing, it's probably not going to help them in the long run. Being Christ-like means that we can say no in unselfish, helpful ways. Sometimes love requires us to say no to people, sometimes even people that we love. For example, if a family member is abusing alcohol at a family gathering, then it is Christ-like to tell them not to do that anymore. Like, you have set a proper boundary if you say that. And if their response is to get angry or to leave, 
then that person simply could not respect a boundary that was set. It's not sinful to say no to someone if they are crossing a personal boundary in harmful or destructive ways. So when this urgent and immediate need is cared for, then the situation calls for rehabilitation. So the book says this, Rehabilitation begins as soon as the bleeding stops. It seeks to restore people and their communities to the positive elements of their pre-crisis conditions. The key feature of rehabilitation is a dynamic of working with the victims as they participate in their own recovery. Now, let's say there is a natural disaster, a tsunami or a hurricane. Like we've been in, we've, we've experienced this before, right? There's some place in the world that was struck with some sort of disaster. And what do we do? We send immediate relief. We send clean water and food and temporary shelters, and we send doctors and nurses to to care for the immediate needs, the injuries that people may have. And eventually, the water is restored, and maybe temporary housing has been set up. They have adequate food and water, and now this is where the rebuilding starts to happen. That immediate need is taken care of, and and they start rebuilding and restoring uh, the community or an individual's life. And when we are in this rehabilitation stage, we are working with people to help them recognize that their, their own gifts, we help them recognize their own gifts and their own place in the community. Now, most people will, uh, if they're, they're going through a disaster, most people, without question, will accept relief. They'll accept those immediate needs that, that will help, help them. But sometimes people will not accept help when it comes to recovery. So a question that we might ask if we're in a situation where we're helping someone is do we care more than they care? Do we care more than they do? Let's say you are trying to help your friend get a job and they still just sit all day and they don't do anything to improve their situation. If you care about it more than they do, it might be time to stop helping them. Because part of rehabilitation is doing the work together. Now, everyone has a purpose. That is part of rehabilitation, is to try and help people understand their purpose. The story of Zechariah found in, in the Gospel of Luke reveals, this, that it reveals that Zechariah has a really important purpose in life. Now, Zechariah is John the Baptist's dad. And John the Baptist is a really important uh, person in, in Jesus' story because John the Baptist comes to prepare the way for Jesus. And it's a perfect story when we think about and as we prepare for this Advent season. So in the Gospel of Luke, before we read about the beginning of Jesus' life, 
we learn about the beginning of John the Baptist's life. And we learn about it through his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are too old to have children. But one day, this angel comes to Zechariah and says, you know what? You are going to have a child. Now, Zechariah was not in a place to accept this. He didn't want to hear this wisdom that the angel was sharing. He questioned the angel. He kind of made excuses as to why this wasn't and this couldn't be. He was unable uh, uh, to see what the angel was trying to teach him. And so Zechariah had consequences. He didn't accept this help or the wisdom that the angel had, and he had these consequences, and he was unable to speak because he couldn't recognize his own purpose. Sometimes people in our lives will not accept help. Sometimes, uh, especially among low-income people, sometimes people feel like they are inferior because they are low income, like they don't see themselves as a child of God, made in God's image. And when you don't feel like you are a child of God, that can be really hard sometimes to accept help. Now, people who are not in low income uh, situations often find themselves on the opposite end. And they find themselves in this God complex sort of way, like we're saviors coming in to, to help and save people who have less than they do. And rehabilitation is really about recognizing the dignity and the worth of people and working alongside them. Like, no, and no matter how we help, no matter when we decide to help, we have to make sure that we are treating people with dignity and respect. Now, the third stage of this uh, helping uh, uh, process is development. Here's what the book says. Uh, development, I added discipleship because I feel like this fits too. Development is a process of ongoing change that moves all the people involved, both the helpers and the helped, closer to being in right relationship with God, self, others, and the rest of creation. See, development or discipleship is all about being in right relationship with God, with self, with others, and with all of creation. This is why we help in the first place. This is why we give relief. This is why we walk alongside people in recovery. And this is why we, we do this, to make disciples and to help people understand their calling, their purpose in life. Development discipleship is, again, not done to people. It's not done, uh, uh, it's not done for people, but rather it is done with people. But we can't make people do things they don't want to do. Like, it has to be both parties in order to uh, help uh, carry one another's burdens together. Now, maybe if you're in a situation where you are faced with uh, 
helping somebody or not, the, the, the question, like I'm going to discern whether I'm going to help this person or not. A question you might ask yourself is why, why do I care? Why would I want to help this person? Is it because you value every person as a child of God? Or is it because if you help someone, it will make you look good or it will make you feel good if you give that person help? Now, I did reach out to Pastor DJ he is uh, from the People City Mission here in Lincoln. And I said, hey, Pastor DJ, do you guys have a policy of, of, of how you know whether you should help someone or not? And he said, you know, we, we really don't have an official policy, but he said, here's from, from, from my, my working and my uh, experience, here is what I have to say about it. He says, don't give out money. He says, instead, if you, if you want, pay for a meal or pay for clothing. He said having bus tickets on hand is really, really helpful for a lot of people. Also, just McDonald's gift cards are also helpful. And then he says this. He says, when you do give and believe it's from God, give joyfully and freely knowing that it's in God's hands. And I think this is really helpful when I think back to my situation with, with my friend Shayla. Like, I know that my friend Shayla has this big heart and that, she, that every person that she encounters, she treats them like they are a child of God. And I love that about her. And I think that when we are faced with the opportunity to help someone, what we do is we learn from the situation. And we stop feel, feeling guilty Right? Whether we decided to help or we decided to not help, we stop feeling guilty about it. Because God's grace is available and abundant for us. And we just continue to grow. Now, to finish Zechariah's story, right? he's kind of suffered these consequences. He can't speak because he, 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 he just didn't recognize his, his purpose. But then... He does recognize his purpose. He, he listens to the angel, and he says this. Uh, immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was freed. And he began, he began to speak, praising God. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. Thus he has shown the mercy promised in our ancestors, and he has rem rem remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on, from, from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That is what Advent is all about. Would you pray with me? Holy God, there is this time of year where we think, more about helping others. And we want to have a servant's hearts. We want to give selflessly without judgment. 
We want others to know that they are loved, that we care about them as, as individual Christians and as the church body. But God, it is, it is tricky to knowing uh, when helping actually hurts. And we ask that you would, you would be with us and you would help us discern when those situations come to us. That you would give us the, the right things to say, the right things to do. And, and above all else, that, that you would just allow us to speak kind words to every single person that we encounter. Whether we give them uh, uh, help that is a physical need, to, to fulfill a physical need. But God, for sure, allow us to help fulfill a spiritual need that they might have. Help us to pray with them. Help us to pray for them. And guide us in, what, in, in all that we do and all that we say. We want to be followers of you, God. And it's, it's not easy sometimes to know the right thing. But God, you are grace-filled. And you are offer us this, this forgiveness when we mess up. You offer us grace to learn and to grow from our actions. So God, be with us this year, uh, not only in this season, but in the year to come as we help and share the love of Christ. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand in spirit or body for the lighting of the Advent candle. We light the first Advent candle symbolizing hope. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the spirit of anticipation, we kindle the flame of eternal hope, acknowledging the promise of a Savior who brings light to our world. In this season of Advent, Light the candle of eternal hope, rejoicing in the anticipation 